Hello and welcome to the Trek podcast series. I'm David Evermey, Senior VP at Seraphim Realty. And our topic today is cutting-edge design trends in the multifamily new construction arena. I'm super excited today to have with me Kimberly Byram of Myers Research. Kimberly brings more than 20 years of experience in the multifamily real estate development and site selection area. She is an industry expert. Actually, I'll repeat that. She is the industry expert on the market fundamentals, residential demographics, product mix, and has a strong technical background in economic forecasting and revenue management. Kimberly, welcome. Thank you for having me. Okay, we've got some interesting things going on in the market, so let's, let's, uh, let's start right away. Let's, let's begin with unit size and layout evolution. Um, it seems looking back over the last cycle that as an industry, we've excelled at producing small, efficient unit types, um, probably designed and geared to the young urban professional, the millennial, if you like. Um, is that, is that, does that hold true in the new construction arena, or are you seeing changes? Well, we're definitely seeing things change. Um, in the last cycle, we introduced in Dallas in particular the efficiency or studio unit, which um, is a unit described probably within the mid-500 square foot range. Micro units have really not made their way to Texas, so that 500 square footer is kind of our first delve into a smaller unit type. And those really were inter- introduced in the urban core primarily, um, and that's throughout Dallas, Austin, and Houston. And there have been mixed successes there, I think, initially, you know, quantitatively. Um, I heard things like, um, you know, people are having trouble visualizing living in one room. Some of the developers responded to that by maybe adding, you know, a half wall or a, a buried bedroom concept where you didn't have a bedroom on the glass, but you had a sliding door that was made of, of glass so that you could have the natural light coming in. So there were some responses to, I think, that initial reaction. Since then, they have been pretty well received in in some types of buildings. Um, Overall, I would say that um, in the mid to high 500 square square foot range has worked rather well. Getting bigger than that and calling it an efficiency, not so much. Another observation I would say about the smaller units is that I have seen in several of the high-rises that were targeting really that high-end renter, the last to move actually was the efficiency unit. And, you know, from my experience, what I have seen is that a person who's going to live in a marquee building like that doesn't sacrifice anything. It's not necessarily a person who's squeezing to get into the building. It's a person who can definitely afford the building and they don't want to give up anything, and, and that number one thing being space. Interesting. Now, just to stick on that point with the um, – on the other end of the scale from the, the micro units, if you like, um, it seems if you're in the market for a large uh, three-bedroom or we, – we've there are many more options than there were a couple of years ago. Um, we're delivering, you know, uh, somewhere around the Knox Street area, which we're very familiar with mm-hmm. – um, can you talk about that demographic? Who's renting that? And is it being taken well and uh, people achieving the rents they're after? Or? Yes. Well, to answer your question, I have really become a true believer in the larger unit in a rental building. I would say specifically in type one construction and concrete buildings where we are targeting a uh, a downsizer or a renter by choice, possibly a person who has come from another city and is uh, very familiar with high-rise living. I will tell you that Texas is uh, 
the leading edge of the markets in terms of larger average unit sizes. I was recently trying to convince um, an equity source to delve into the Atlanta market where that most of those buildings have been more millennial type buildings, small unit sizes. And I was looking for examples across the United States and the only place that I could find any were in Texas. So we're definitely on the bleeding edge. Probably Houston, number one, has a more mature high-rise market than Dallas, but Dallas is definitely um, getting there. And if you look back on the last cycle, Hanover built larger units. And then as we entered into the 2008, the Taylor era, the, sw- the streetlights era, you know, uh, right. coming out of the recession, we went rather small. And we've, we've inched our way back up. And that really is somewhat based on location. You know, some of the locations near the park cities targeting the downsizer coming from the park cities is definitely um, an opportunity. Uh, Houston's been a great example because I had the ability to work with a developer there during the oil downturn and offering very large units at one of his buildings. And we found that those units were very insulated to the downturn. Uh, it was the $2,500 units that were much more difficult to lease and required the concession in the early stages because you were competing with everybody. The wood frame, everyone was was looking for that. To answer your question on the demographic side, you know, what I've seen in some of these, you know, larger unit buildings is an average age of anywhere from 37 to 42. And just, you know, as a placemaker, a millennial building average age is about 30 to 32. Interesting. Yes. So, so quite a bit older. And um, what we've seen, you know, a lot of people that own their own businesses can afford a house probably came from a house and and I was doing some focus groups and I thought this was really funny um the lady they're really going after the level of service and and one of the the people in the focus group said I have three husbands the concierge the valet and this guy sitting next to me because they're they're looking for a very high level of service very interesting. In, in the international community, I was interested. You, you know, you talked about Houston, which is has obviously a big international community. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we maturing into um, truly a global city here in Dallas? In terms of, are we picking up a lot of international renters? I haven't seen that trend here, like I would say that I see in Houston. I mean, in Houston, you will see oil people from all over the the world. Um, you know, a lot of people coming into the community there. I have not seen that same level of, of international uh, probably coming migration was, here. Right. So uh, it's interesting what you say on the level of service. Um, so I'd, li- I'd like to get your opinion on a couple of things there because it seems as though um, we heavily amenitized product, uh, heavily finished it in, in the last cycle. And at the cutting edge now, it seems like in order to differentiate from uh, your competition, you've got to you've got to give a level of customer service that's unprecedented. Is is that true? Is that absolutely? Um, you know, first of all, the kitchens. You know, the, the kitchens are beautiful in multifamily these days. I mean, I think there is a ton of sex appeal there. The islands have been upgraded tremendously from the offerings early in the cycle when we just thought we were so smart to include an island with a pot rag above. <laughs> you know, we've really, we've taken those a long way. And we do a lot of research in trying to understand how people are using their islands. Are you using it for prep? Are you using it for additional seating? You know, so we're really trying to understand those kinds of things. Um, the bathroom is now becoming a little bit more of where people are spending time in the sex appeal arena 
Um, looking at, you know, showers are very, very um, important, needed. Uh, a lot of times we'll see the, the tub and the shower. We've even found, you know, certainly in focus groups where people want the shower rather than the tub. And that used to be more along gender lines, but that's changing where everybody's kind of moving more towards the showers. The closets continue to be places where uh, we want to offer storage, just more storage. And, I, you know, I know that from a downsizer perspective, you really want to get into where are they going to put their dog their dog stuff where are they going to put you know their their sets of dishes things like that so really getting into you know some some different things as we go after a larger crowd there um on the amenities side definitely fitness uh is is an important thing package delivery continues right. to be somebody was telling me about um refrigerated uh Refrigera- storage. absolutely that's becoming is that becoming standard absolutely is it? absolutely <laughs> yes in most of the so. high-rise buildings that i've worked on that is now the refrigerated they receive refrigerated items and put them in the refrigerators so that's becoming um an, an important amenity to receive packages and that's that's an industry issue as you know certainly on the operations side right. is what to do with packages and that's ongoing debates and 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 discussions so you know there's a lot of evolution in the grocery world as well that i think will continue to make its way into um, a lot of what we're doing but you know we survey residents and we find that people still are eating at their house about five meals five nights a week you know and that that makes sense i mean i go out two to three nights a week and i eat home the rest of the time it may be prepared that i that i ordered from uber etc but they are still eating at home four to five times a week so interesting so in embracing technical technological change i hear that loud and clear going back to uh, again what we built last cycle um it's interesting to me that um we built a lot of wrap products mm-hmm. we built a lot of there's a lot of parking issue and it, it mm-hmm. seems to me going forward it's like if we were to fast forward five seven ten years and look back and we go oh my gosh what are we going to do with all this parking that we built back in the you know uh right. Are we overregulated? Are we being forced to build too much parking? Are developers making parking flexible enough to change? Can you comment on that? You know, I, of course, a lot of the the projects that I work on are in the southeast, but we do work in the Pacific Northwest in particular, where they are less, you know, um, driven by their driven by their cars. No pun intended. Um, and what I found, well, let's start with the high rise. Sometimes those residents have three cars. So typically, when you're going after that larger average unit size, you want to have ample parking for them because they may need above and beyond your typical. They may not use that car, but they got to put it exactly, somewhere. Exactly, right. exactly. Um, in in the urban core, you know, I'm still, you know, my research shows that about 80% of the people still have a car and, you know, intend to use a car. And if you go on to Yelp, I mean, even in Los Angeles, you know, more urban places, you'll see that most people are griping about the lack of guest parking, the lack of parking for, you know, their, their spouse or their roommate you know and and remember that we've evolved you know when I first got in this industry it was 70% single people that lived in apartments and I'm not going to say how long ago that was today it is 35% singles 35% couples and you know couples a lot of times will have two cars so you do have more cars that need to be parked so I'm not sure that's changing in the short run you know, potentially in the long run as the ride sharing and the unmanned cars and those types of things continue. But I, I haven't seen that change really. Now, there are cities like Denver who want to get people away from using their cars, and so they're requiring lower parking right. ratios. Right. Well, what that does is it causes 
you know, the law of supply and demand. You pay more for a parking space in Denver. So not only is your rent now be getting higher, but now to, to store your car, it's more expensive. So, you know, kind of it's backlash on the consumer, you know, really is where it kind of hits you at the pocketbook. Right. Denver's an interesting market. I spend a lot of time in Denver and I've, a lot of pipeline, obviously, downtown Denver, um, a lot of small unit pipeline. Uh, the micro unit is emerging into Denver in a, in a way. Um, one thing that I was going to ask you about demand is uh, sort of keeps me up at night a little bit when I'm trying to forecast demand looking forward. I think the unemployment rate in Denver now is sub sub three. And it just occurs to me, it's like, wow, if, if uh, everybody who's there has a job already, then in terms of net new apartment demand, you're kind of dependent almost entirely on people moving to Denver. Now, a lot of people obviously move to Denver, but there are a lot of apartments being built. Are, are we are we running at the, you know, right at the tail end of this in terms of new demand or net new demand? Well, Denver, you know, there was a run-up there. In, and, you know, most of the apartment markets that I'm in these days, with the exception of potentially Las Vegas and Phoenix, are at, 200, 250 basis points above what I would call their equilibrium, which is about, you know, 92 in Dallas. I mean, the dirty secret's always been we run at 92.5% occupancy. Right. I mean, we're at like 96 at the metro level right now. <laughs> so, so you know, one of, the, one of the issues there then is, you know, we, we're probably too fully occupied and we need to bring it back down. So this pipeline is kind of catching up. The jobs are catching up. You know, the pipeline's catching up with the jobs that have occurred. So, so I'm not necessarily concerned about the pipeline, where we're headed. Now, the days of 7% rent growth in Denver are probably over in the interim. Right. Um, and that we're going to see, you know, that come back down to a normal pace of 2.5%, 3%. Certainly concessions on new projects are, are, are prevalent these days. One month free does not concern me when it becomes three months free a la Houston that's obviously concerning. You know, I watch jobs always, and of course, full full employment means that we can't we can't continue to grow if people don't continue to move here. Um, right. So that that is an issue, and I'm watching that in all the markets that we're in. But I also look at absorption, and if you look at the rate of absorption, certainly high rise absorbs at a little bit of a different pace. But you know, in most markets, you're still seeing 20 to 25 a month, and it's always a good indicator that you know the apartments are being absorbed and so i think we'll expect to see a lot of these markets come back down a couple basis points but i think that will be healthy and it will bring that rent growth back in line Kimmy, uh, thanks so much for your comments i really appreciate it it's always wonderful to speak with you and get your insights one closing are we missing anything as an industry are we headed you know do you have a, a a warning sign, or are you happy, or we're in basically in equilibrium? Well, kind of back to your point, I think, you know, one of the things that we can always get better at, and, and part of this is the full employment problem. You know, I think that we're in a place right now where, you know, it used to be in the old days, if you had a shopping score that fell below 90, you got written up. And if you had two of them, you got fired. I think because we're so fully extended in the labor markets that that follows through all the way down to our site level where we're supposed to be selling our product and being on top of uh, marketing and follow-up and renewal. And, and I really do think that the ability to provide that level of customer service is somewhat impacted by the labor pool that's currently out there. And some of these concessions, back to that point, are really not necessarily because the market needs them, but because you just don't have a sh hot-shot leaser out there that's leasing. They need that tool in order to do the closing. So I think some of that, you know, are just you know issues we're going to continue to have as the labor pool gets thinner and thinner and people can get you know, higher paying jobs doing other things. Thanks again for your time, Camille. It's wonderful to talk with you.
Appreciate it.